It's time for Bring Your Own Lunch, a podcast for your whole face, with your host, Dave T. Koenig. Hello, come on in, have a seat, welcome. This is the Bring Your Own Lunch podcast at bringyourownlunch.com, the magic of iTunes, the majesty of Stitcher, and however you found your way to download this podcast, I thank you. As you heard at the top, my name is Dave T. Koenig, I'm an actor, writer, director, producer, comedian, all-around swell dude, and of course, the host of the program you're listening to right now, BYOL. It's Labor Day week. Uh, I'm recording this on Tuesday, so yesterday was Labor Day, and uh, lots going on. It's a very busy show. We'll get right to it. My guest this week is Tia Dion Hodge-Jones. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of subjects with her. She's an actor, writer, director, producer, comedian, and a playwright in her own right. And uh, she's got a great project that she's uh, out there promoting right now. It's a, a book of monologues for kids called Play Speak. And uh, she actually has an event coming up I'll tell you about in just a little bit. But uh, T and I have known each other for, I think, about eight years. And uh, she is somebody I can honestly say is a really good friend in the business. Um, I met her at an audition uh, like I said, about eight years ago, and I think a place called Kipperman Casting, which is Jody Kipperman's uh, uh, casting office in New York City. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that my main in- intent is to try and capture some of the conversations that happen when actors get together, uh, whether it's at uh, craft services or or or. Um, catering during a lunch break at a gig or as often happens the conversations that happen in the waiting room at an audition and sometimes when you talk to people there uh you know you have nice pleasant conversation and sometimes you have a little more meaningful conversation you have some laughs and what have you and sometimes you meet people at auditions and you're like i'm probably going to be friends with you for life and tia is one of those people she and i just hit it off i don't even know if we were there to audition for the same commercial, but we just started talking and, and, and eight years later, um, uh, I consider her to be one of the real like solid, uh, uh, friends I have made in this business and, and, and out of the business for, for that matter. Uh, she has been incredibly supportive to me and, and she helped, um, introduce me to her manager who is now my manager. And, and I never have gotten the sense that she does that out of anything other than her own kind nature. And so I'm really happy to have her on the show. She was one of the first people I thought of when I wanted to, uh, put this podcast together. And finally, I'm, I'm able to bring this one out uh, this week, even though we recorded it earlier in the summer and we make some reference to that. Uh, I'm just glad she's, uh, was willing and able and, and we could record this and, and you can learn a little bit more about her and her interesting journey to become an actor and to do all the things she has done. And she has done a lot and she's been in the business for quite some time. And the other beauty of doing this podcast is that I get to learn a little bit more about friends uh, that I didn't know before. So no matter how long I might know somebody, I don't necessarily know all the ins and outs of their career. So I thought it was a very fascinating conversation and I hope you do too. So we'll get into that interview in just a little bit. Uh, last night, I had the honor and pleasure to perform at the People's Improv Theater in New York City uh, for a show called Guess Who's Coming to the Stage. It was a show created by and hosted by a guy named Rory Scholl. And if you were listening carefully last week, we dry, um, uh, Rob King name dropped him. Uh, I hadn't met Rory before. It's almost like the... Uh, the opposite of Tia, uh, he and I actually know each other through Facebook, but I don't think I actually met him until last night. And he announced that he was doing this show and was open to having some performers. And I threw my name in the ring 
and he was gracious enough to accept and, uh, and let me play in this show. And uh, a really interesting concept. It's an improv show. The basic gist is you had, uh, I think we had six performers in the show, and Rory brings them to the stage. You don't know what order you're going up, and when you get there, you're told what you're performing. And it's a variety show, so you had... Uh, a magician and you had a ventriloquist and you had a mind reader. Uh, what else did we have? There was a storyteller and I ended up going first and I picked out of the hat singer songwriter and me not being much of a musician. Uh, that was probably the one that I was least looking forward to doing because I don't uh, have the ability to play an instrument in front of people. I can carry a tune maybe. And I've done some musical improv, but the idea of making up something on the spot uh, required some help, so I was glad that there was a guy named Jeff Shearer, also in the cast, who does play guitar on an, an amazingly uh, good level. Uh, very, 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 very good musician, as well as performer, improviser, what have you. So Jeff jumped up, and he was my accompanist for my bit there. I played a character called uh, Dick Brucenson. Uh, who was a singer-songwriter who hadn't ever performed in front of people before. So I used a little bit of the uh, trepidation I had, turned that into a character, and the character was the one that uh, performed. And that was the whole idea of the show. And, and uh, Rory is hoping to make that a regular thing at the pit. And uh, we'll stay tuned and see if that actually comes to pass. But uh, I really want to say thank you to Rory Scholl. Uh, and everybody in the cast for being very cool and uh, letting me have a fun time playing on a, a Memorial Day night. All right, so this is the big one. Last week, I was challenged to do the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, or I was nominated, or I was challenged, and I keep forgetting which one is which. Uh, either way, my sister poured some ice uh, water on her head and then challenged me to do the same. She actually challenged my wife also. And uh, so I went ahead and did it, but I did it my own way. And right now, if you do go to bringyourownlunch.com, you could see the YouTube video that I posted where I not just did one ice bucket and poured that over my head, I poured 99 buckets of water on my head, and you could see why by going to bring your own lunch. And I hope you will join the cause and spread the awareness and, and donate some money to what is a very good cause, the fight against ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. Now, it, it, since this whole thing, this phenomenon of the ALS, bice, uh, bice, I, ALS ice bucket challenge started to really take off, with that came a lot of criticism. There were a lot of people who felt that it was self-serving, that it was uh, not doing much to actually help people with ALS. And on certain levels that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a skeptical person, so I understand having a healthy skepticism towards things. But when you see the numbers that have come out, it's hard to argue that this was a negative for the cause, because as of today, ALSA, which is the big organization that helps in the fight against ALS, they have uh, announced that they have raised over a hundred million dollars towards helping in the fight against ALS. Now, that number is really, really, really impressive. And when you have those kind of numbers, you get a little more uh, critique. Uh, specifically, there were a lot of links that came around, let's say, on Facebook or on Twitter, where people said that... Uh, you know, you better watch out because the money that you're giving to that research isn't actually going to research. Several articles, much of them the same, came out that criticized the ALS, say, by Ice Bucket Challenge and more specifically challenged the ALSA. The article cites a number of 27 percent and the article, which is 
you know, cut and pasted all over the place, uh, says that less than 27% of donations fund research and cures. Now, where did that number come from? Because according to uh, common wisdom and, and actual fact and, and all that good stuff, uh, specifically, I, I look at Snopes.com because they are always the place to go to when you hear a rumor and you're not sure if you should believe it or not. They uh, very much uh, denied the articles that went around. And I always trust Snopes. Well, you know why? I, you, do you want to know the real reason I trust Snopes? Snopes.com. They they post rumors and then they verify or deny them. It's like Mythbusters for your for your for your eyeballs uh, when you re- want to read and not watch a TV show. But the reason I really trust Snopes is because you go to that site and it looks like it was designed in 1997 and they stopped doing any more updates to the design. And all they've done is just post great content after great content after great content. In fact, I think we should do a fundraiser just for Snopes, but that's a different story. So they posted their own response. And according to Snopes, any suggestion that under 20%, uh, 27% of donations go to actual ALS research and helping those with the uh, disease is uh, fundamentally untrue. Uh, the ALSA, for its uh, own purposes, uh, posted a press release. Uh, that says the ALS Association has been given a great deal of money, and with that comes tremendous responsibility. We are absolutely committed to transparency and will be communicating regularly with the ALS community, our donors, and the media and the public about progress to invest these dollars wisely in areas that will have maximum impact on the fight against this devastating disease. Now, that's not a lot of uh, specific uh, information. Uh the 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 drilling down numbers that you get when you look into this, and I don't want to make this into a political or 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 defense of anybody specifically. My main uh, idea is to promote common sense. Now, according to Snopes, the claim made seventy three percent of donations fund executive salaries and overhead. They say that's demonstrably false. Um, there is an organization called Charity Navigator, and they uh, assess independently charitable organizations. And according to that organization, the ALSA has received an overall 90.73 out of 100 rating and a four out of four stars ranking. So uh, people who are independently watching over these things do say that the ALSA is, uh, you know, as much as uh, you could say about any organization on the up and up. But let's say you didn't have access to Snopes. And uh, for for me, I actually saw the first uh, link to Snopes with uh, the report. Uh, Sarah Nowak, I just want to throw a name out to say thank you for posting that because uh, it does help to uh, bring common sense back to the world when you do post things that actually have some semblance of, of factual research behind them. But let's look at just the article itself. The big thing is that they said that... Uh, of the donations will fund executive salaries and uh, overhead. And that would seem like a lot of money, uh, even though it's not true. Uh, That's that sounds like a large percentage. But if you look at common sense and you say to yourself, "Okay, let's look at the actual numbers. The president and CEO of ALSA, Jane H. Gilbert, somebody I don't know and don't necessarily particularly care about more than just common sense wise. Her uh, salary is $339,475, at least according to this article. 
not a small amount of money by any stretch of the imagination. And I think that that person is probably living very, very comfortably. And you could say, wow, man, they may they they, they raised a hundred million dollars. And, you know, a percentage of that is going to just the CEO. Well, that's maybe true. And if she does make three hundred thirty nine thousand four hundred seventy five dollars, she's making a lot of money. But let's look at what some other CEOs get. According to the AFL-CIO, that's not necessarily the highest you can get. According to the AFL-CIO, the high, the, this is a list of 100 highest paid CEOs. If you want to crack the top 100, you have to make more than the CEO of Lowe's. Now, the CEO of Lowe's is a guy named Robert A. Nyblock. And in 2013, he made $18,714,193. So the uh, CEO of ALSA making a little less than $340,000 doesn't even come close to cracking the top 100 by any stretch of the imagination. Now, let's say we want to talk about the top salary on this list of highest paid CEO, CEOs. Uh, a person named Sharif Suki. In 2013, the CEO of Chinier Energy Inc., I hope I'm saying that right, their compensation for 2013 was $141,949,280. Uh, well, so who makes more, the CEO of Chinier Energy Inc. or the CEO of ALSA? Now, this is not just this is just part of this uh, the, the, the story, because. Let's say you are the CEO of Shinier Energy, Inc. And I'm not faulting this person at all for doing it. Good for them. They earned over $140 million in 2013. But that's not the only thing that they can earn. They can have stock options. They can have uh, they, they can be getting dividends just for that company alone. It's a publicly traded company. On the other hand, the CEO of ALSA, I don't think there's a lot of executive bonuses that go on there. So the $340,000 or so that Jane H. Gilbert is making, my guess is that's probably the capper of what she's going to get, because I don't think they get more uh, when they get, uh, uh, at least on the books, they, they don't get more if uh, fewer people get ALS or more people get ALS. They're not selling anything. So when you take somebody who could be ostensibly the CEO of a major company and they're taking a fraction of the money that other CEOs get. I'd say that they're doing a charitable service to the rest of us to be willing to take on that responsibility and make a fraction of what other CEOs get. That's pretty good in my book. But let's say you don't even agree with that. And I'll wrap it up with this. Let's say you don't even agree that uh, $340,000 is a fair amount of money for a CEO. And let's say you're still angry that people have been giving $100 million to ALSA. Here's the thing. How many times did you even think about ALSA before this whole ice bucket challenge happened? How many times did you even consider the money that went in and out of ALSA? See, in my mind, when you have $100 million worth of uh, donations going into an organization like ALSA, which is overwhelmingly more than what went in before, that's going to bring with it a lot of scrutiny. And with scrutiny comes oversight and uh, d d detail and, and investigation. So right now, ALSA better be on their best behavior because of the amount of money that's gone into it. So while it may not be a perfect organization now, and I am not somebody who's qualified to say one way or the other, if it is, 
I can say this, the more money that goes into an organization like that, the more we know that they're going to be crossing their T's and dotting their I's and making sure that they're not messing around because there are a lot of eyeballs on ALSA. And if you think you could do it better and for less than $340,000, I'm sure they'd want to talk to you. Of course, got a bunch of people to thank before we continue with our interview with Tia Dion Hodge-Jones. Banuba.net, that's where you can find all the information about the band that provides the music at the beginning, middle, and end of this show, Banuba, B-A-N-O-O-B-A.net. You can go check out Banuba. They're going to be playing the 16th Annual Wormtown Music Festival, September 12th through the 14th at Camp Kiwani in Greenfield, Massachusetts. You can go to Banuba.net to find out all about that uh uh, that, that festival and, and the gig they'll be playing there. And hopefully you go check them out if you're somewhere in the New England area. Uh, want to make sure that if you are a filmmaker and you have a short film and you want to get it into the next New York short film shootout, just go to nysfso.com. That's short for the New York short film shootout. Uh, we are going to have a September event. Uh, we are still negotiating with the time and uh, space and, and where and when and how. Uh, but no matter what, you should get your films into us as soon as you can. You could just send information about your film to info at nysfso.com. That's the uh, film series that me and Vinny Petrosini co-founded and, and we've been having a good time with. And just one more plug. I will be taking part in a special event, an author event for Play Speak, Modern Monologues for the Modern Young Actor. That is written by Tia Dion Hodge-Jones, my guest this week, and that will be happening at the Montclair Public Library in Montclair, New Jersey. That's uh, from 2 to 5 p.m. on Saturday, September 6th. So if you're in the area, come on by. Tia will sign a book for you. I will be performing, and uh, it's going to be a great event. Hopefully, you'll come join us. All right, let's get into it with Tia Dion Hodge-Jones. We'll talk about all of her uh, amazing things that she's done and and I think you're going to enjoy learning about her if you don't know about her already, because eh, heck, you should enjoy. It's either that or we bake. Well, because it's like a million and a half degrees out. This is like, seriously, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I turn into like a little brown puddle. It's this hot out. It is very hot. And it's not even like just hot. It's hot no, and disgusting. No, it's what my father would say. It's H-O-T warm out. It's H-O-T warm. <laughs> like he can't even say hot. He has to spell it. <laughs> so let's begin. Yeah, sure. Tia Hodge. Now, how, how, you, I know you under like a... Uh, Tia Dion Hodge. Tia Dion Hodge. Yes. Is there a reason why you professionally use the middle name? I like it. Oh, okay, it's just—it's really that easy. See, I had to stick that middle initial in there because there was a Dave Koenig out there, and SAG was like, "It's too close, so you need an initial." Yeah. And but you just have a nice flowing Tia Dion Hodge. Yeah, and there's no other Tia Dion Hodge. There is a Tia Dion, which I think is beautiful. Yeah, that's nice. But there's no other Tia Dion Hodge. So. Oh, there you go. It's very easy, and now it's really pretentious because now that I'm married to Thomas, it's Tia Dion Hodge Jones. But that, I, yeah, you have more. Names than anybody. Uh, so <laughs> I should start spelling the hyphen. You should just <laughs> just go by T D H J. Actually, I do on some things. Do I, you? Yeah, I do. I can see signing your name that way. Yeah, I but know. just like you are named, you, your name is an acronym. There's not too yeah. many of those out there. No, there isn't. It'd be U N M I A. 
or oh, who else? Oh, that is hot. Yeah, that is kind of hot. Have I you ever started? Do you do any? I don't actually. I don't know if you do any music stuff. Oh no, you don't want me. Well, I it, you can see I have a baby grand piano in there. I do compose. You do. I do. So now you can release your songs under the name. No, nobody wants me. To, uh, <laughs> no, 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 you don't want to do that. No, just say no to that. No, I would spare you the pain. Well, it's one of the hyphenates. You're not like. <laughs> You don't have because yes. you've done a lot. I, I, I do stuff to, you know, keep myself busy, make a little extra cash, that kind of don't thing. Don't we all? No, actually, some people don't. Some people just wait how around and complain. Get away with it? Yeah, that's true. How do, <laughs> how do people get away with just complaining and also pay the rent? Um, maybe they have very wealthy parents. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. they consider just the, com you know, complaining that somehow complaining will get people to give them things. It has not, that has not worked out for me. No. I no. think people are like, oh, you can't get your behind up and do something. <laughs> I, I, so, yeah. I, I, I I'd, I'd like to think, and part of what got me going in the business is knowing that I had done a lot of other things, other things and yeah. I, I joke that it's like, I, I, I spent a lot of time getting my ass kicked doing yeah. other things mm -hmm. so that if I don't get a commercial for like whatever, mm -hmm. my life is okay. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's not a struggle. But when you first started out, yeah. did you feel that <sighs> feeling when you didn't get that job? No, you no, didn't? no. I, when I started, I was, it was, I had that other, the exact opposite. It was like, I'm just thrilled that I'm in the room because I knew that meant something. Oh, okay. You know? Did you start here in New York? I did. I did. I don't want to make this about me, though. Let's talk about oh, you. Oh, well, I was going to say, I, mean, see, okay I, started, about... I started in the Midwest, so it was so a little different. So let's talk about that. Let's, let, well, growing up, did you, did you act? I mean, I did, you know, the high school and middle school plays uh -huh. kind of thing. But when I was really little, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician. And then I got staph pneumonia at band camp. Because this one time at band camp. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got staph pneumonia. And staph, I've heard of staph infection. What's staph pneumonia? Well, if you know about a staph infection, it just was in my lung. Oh. Yeah, it was eating my lung. I almost died. How old were you? I was, I had just turned 16. It was just before my uh, 16th. I actually turned 16 at band camp. And when I came home, I had lost quite a bit of weight. I mean, you go to band camp. Oh well, yeah, I figured you yeah. lose weight anyway because you're out there in the sun marching around. Sure. Um, I don't play. I don't play an instrument. I was the majorette. You would so you were the one with the baton. Oh, you know it, baby. Oh, sweet. I was so hot, <laughs> and um, literally, it was very warm, almost as warm as it is today. But um, I I caught uh, staph pneumonia and ended up in the hospital in intensive care, and. Um, because I wanted to be a pediatrician, I knew my body. I knew it was happening, oh, but the doctors did not believe me. They said, oh, no, it's just asthma. And they were, I was telling him, I have pneumonia. And they were pumping me full of asthma medication because I was an asthmatic. And they overdosed me and I almost died. Oh my! So I didn't want to be a pediatrician anymore. Yeah, I would give. You, I would think that would give you a bad taste. Yeah, really, yeah. not tasty at all. So then, because I was very good at math, um, took all that AP stuff and calc and physics, I thought I would be an engineer. So I got into Case Western Reserve University for mechanical engineering, which is fascinating because <laughs> I, I can't. I, I don't know that there are many other careers that are as far removed from the idea of being an actor. I had no idea. The I, mechanical engineer, you know? Mechanical engineering, and I like the way things work. I, mm -hmm. Look, if I could take apart this 
your yeah. iPad yeah, yeah. and put it back together. I could, I would, and I would enjoy it. That's just how my brain works. I want to know how it works. Now, see, I'll get back around to that because that is acting. True. We want to know how the character works, what makes it tick, what makes that person think. That's very true. It's the same thing. And if you you put it that way, it's it's not actually all that dissimilar from wanting to be a pediatrician or a doctor of any kind of the body. Exactly. So you just have an interest in how, like the nuts and bolts of things. Exactly. That's a very interesting approach. If it hadn't been for Catherine Albers... Um, my first semester freshman year, I needed to, you know, do some, um, class that was going to fill in like an elective elective. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I have mommy brain. (laughs) Um, and we'll go to that too. Sure. And, um, it was because of her a few weeks into class. She said, she had asked me to come to her office and she said, Hey, um, have you ever considered being an actress and a model? You're tall. Like, well, you know, every girl wants to be an actress and a model. (laughs) She said, no, really, you're doing very well in my class. I said, well, yeah, I mean, whatever. She goes, no, seriously, here's my agent's card. I've told them about you. Man, Now, who is this? Who is Catherine? She was my very first acting professor. So she she was a professor there. She handed me her card or her agent's card. I went in. uh, It was um, David and Lee Agency in Cleveland, Ohio. Huh. I went in for my very first audition and I booked the commercial and I've been working ever since. And I put myself through school at case acting. Wow. And, um, um, I would get up in the morning, go to classes, uh, either travel downtown and go to an audition or go to a shoot and come back to class or whatever. Wow. And so by the time I finished grad school and and by then I switched. Um, yeah. When did you transition from doing the mechanical engineering thing to just focusing on acting? Oh, I didn't. You never did. I don't have a degree in acting. Well, did you? I have a master's degree in English literature. Also, also that's where you went. But that's yeah. helped you. I mean, that's helped you a oh, lot. Yeah. So well, I had, when did you, when did you, I guess then when, when did, did I you give up mechanical, mechanical engineering? engineering? When I found out that the English department was giving money for poetry and writing. And I was still a mechanical engineering student and paying for school myself. I was always writing and I submitted some work and I beat out the English majors. Wow. And I won the poetry prizes and the writing prizes and I found out they were giving money. I said, forget this. If I'm going to get a degree and I'm paying for this, I got to go where I'm good at. Yeah. So I switched majors and um, ended up um, applying to the graduate department, graduate school while I was still an undergrad. So they had a five-year program (laughs) and I got in. So I got my undergrad and grad at the same time. Wow. And what is your exact uh, degree as as a graduate student? Oh, English literature. And that's a, is that a? a MA and BA. Oh, okay. But it's not, it's, you're not a doctor. No, I could have, I could have probably finished. I did take my six and 700 levels some, Uh um, and I, I probably should have, no, I should. No, I, I'm, I'm glad I left when I did, Mm -hmm. but I will tell you this. I applied to the MFA at case and gave the most horrible, (laughs) horrible, horrible, Lord help me. <laughs> Horrible audition. <laughs> and when I got my rejection letter, it was it was like a knife to my back. Uh, 
And the next day there was, I saw an audition for a school in New York City and I auditioned for it and they gave me a scholarship and I got the heck out of Dodge. Wow. Okay. So, so <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, like from a scholastic standpoint, like, okay. So you, you went through the four years of Case Western and you finished the degree in mechanical engineering or did you? No, I switched. I had switched into English. Okay. So, and then you went... And did the MFA program? MA. Not, MA. I did them both at the same time. I oh, did them at the same time. So you were a graduate student while you were an undergraduate student. Exactly. Wow. Okay. And then, okay, well, we'll get back to where you <laughs> went because because that's also uh, fascinating. So how many years of school actually were you in uh, um, when you were in Cleveland? When I was in Cleveland, I graduated from high school and, and then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> cause to me, from the, from the outside, it sounds like you were there for about 12 years. Yes. No. Yeah. No, um, it, it no actually yeah. it, it regular, it would take six years, right? It would be four years of undergrad and two years of grad. Okay. That's usual. And that's, that's what I did. However, I took two semesters off because I, I didn't have the money to go back oh, wow. and I still graduated in six years with two degrees, even though I never took a summer course. Had, had, was that, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to guess that that's not usual, well, even at I, Case Western. It's a five-year program. So it, it took me six years to do a five-year program. But to do it concurrently, even, is that, even is that the, unique? No, it's a, it's a five-year program. Oh, if you get right. in, you get in. Okay. But I did take two, I didn't take two consecutive semesters off, but I did two, take two semesters off. I never took a summer course because I couldn't afford it. I was able to get more scholarship money and come back wow. and, and some more loans and come back. Um, and so I just had to figure out, bottom line is if I did not get into the graduate um, in the, into grad school, I mm. would not have been able to, f to finish my undergrad huh. <laughs> because as a grad student, you can take out as many loans as you that's need. A, that's, that's amazing. That's just the truth. Well, there you go. If you're, if you're applying to schools now, it was a miracle, apply to be a, an undergraduate and a graduate student at the same time, <laughs> get all the money you need. If, if it's, if they have a five-year program, that's, that's the, what I needed to happen. That's amazing. I mean, it really it's is. A, it, it was just God. It was a, it was a blessing. Seriously. Wow. So I, um, I, I don't know much about your, your family growing up, mm -hmm. um, but what was their reaction to the, the changes you were deciding to, well, to, to the curveballs you were throwing? In well, if, you know, with the engineering, I, and I thought that's what my father wanted me to do. Ah, okay. So when I told him, you know, I went to dad, daddy, <laughs> when I went to dad first, I said, dad, I am. I, I, I really want to switch to English literature. I, I really, I've been writing on the side all the time. I've won these awards and he, he sighed. He went, oh, Tia, I'm so glad you're doing this. Your mother and I always hoped you'd be a writer. Oh, wow. Like, what the? That's awesome. Why didn't you tell me in the first place? Because we, we didn't want to push you. Wow. Really? And she, I mean, and it's kind of funny is that you'd figure that a parent, you know, we're both parents and we know like you, you probably would not, you don't want to push them into something that you think would be a drag, Yeah. but this was kind of the, the other way around because, you but, know, but see, this makes sense in the, if I would have applied as an English student, they would have rejected me from the school. Oh. I'm a terrible, or at least I was a terrible test taker, mm -hmm. especially when it came to English. 
I'm a great writer. Mm-hmm. I can't spell to save my life. Uh. Um, comprehension. If you ask me to speak about it, oh, there's lots of passion and all that. But under pressure, please. So my test scores in English and comprehension, phew, but math, I mean, numbers don't lie. Just let me do it. I'm fine. Uh. So when I first got to case, they put me in remedial English. <laughs> I'll never forget it. So we, the first day, uh, the professor said, I want you to write me an essay on what is creativity. And we all sat and we wrote our essays and I didn't really like the way mine was coming out. So I crossed out my essay. I started writing a new one. I asked for another blue book. We came back the next class and she put us all in groups or put everybody else but me. You know, she put the non-English speakers mm. and first language and all the wow. other kids. In. And she said, please raise your hand if I have not called your name. And I'm the only one going, hmm. She goes, um, are you Tia Hodge? Yeah. And she goes, I want to see you in the hall. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and this is freshman year, right? Freshman so year. So you probably still had that high school I'm, fear of like, yeah, you're going to be in well, trouble. I'm already depressed because, you know, I took AP English. And, right. and now you're in with people I, who are learning as a speaker, second language. Right. Yeah. So um, she said, you wrote two essays. I said, yeah, the first one wasn't that good. She goes, no, the first one was great. And then you wrote a second. I said, yeah, because I thought I could do better. She goes, what the heck are you doing in my class? Did uh, out of here. She really said that and go to regular English. I don't know why you're here. So I didn't have a computer. (laughs) I couldn't at the time, my parents were just, you know, trying to get me in and afford all this. And they hadn't, thank you, mommy and daddy. Um, (laughs) you know, they're just trying to get me through school. So they hadn't gotten the computer yet and all that. And I only had was a typewriter. Oh man. I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. So I would write my papers on a typewriter. Oh man. I got a B plus in that class. There you go. So clearly I know how to write and I have a master's in English literature. I think you probably have proven it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt at this point. I got a little better. Yeah, right. Yeah. I got All right. A so let's better. talk about where did where did you end up going in New York? When you well, what was the transition like when you said, Okay, I'm just gonna go for the acting now that you sort of conquered the it, English literature thing? It was a close that it closed. It was a school that closed down the first day I got there. No. Yeah. It was shape have you heard of it, the Shakespeare Conservatory? No, but I, there you go. Um, so uh, was this was it considered a, like a legit school? It, the Department of Education shut it down. Oh, so we'd all got there, got into the studio, went to the studio um, theater, and I believe it's the Shakespeare Conservatory. <laughs> I don't want to. Sorry, I don't want to put anything out there that isn't true because you we'll know it's been eight, it's that, been yeah. eighteen years, but I believe that was what it was. We all get in there, and um, our directors. I mean, I'm first. I'm thinking, wow, this is a really great acting exercise. They look <laughs> okay. We must be doing something deep. Mm. Go ahead, go ahead. And then they said, we're sorry to tell you, but we've been shut down by the Department of Education. That's crazy. We're going to have to release you all. And we walked out like zombies. Then someone said, and this is, this is how clueless I would, I'd never, other than one visit to my cousin, 
Oh, by the way, my cousin is Mike Hodge, the New York president of Screen Actors. You know, Actors. I always wondered if you get because I know him too. Yeah. And he's great. He's and awesome. I had no idea if that was your cousin. He's you know, I didn't want to be like. friend and cousin. How awful would it have been if I'd been like, well, you're both black and you're both named Hodge. You must be related. <laughs> so I always avoided that question. Well, funny thing that you say that because what I'm learning is many people who have the last name Hodge. We are related. Oh, okay. Well, and they don't cool necessarily they don't necessarily have to be brown. Very interesting. Yeah, that's very historical. Or Hairston. 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 And there's some books written on the Hairston clan. But long story. Okay. Very yeah. very long. Um, so someone in our group said, "I hear that Stella Adler Conservatory still has some spots." Wow. And I, all I remember is I got to go to school. I'm in New yeah, York. Well, let's just, let me just, we just kind of like rewind for a second. Now, you lived, you grew up in... I grew up in Aurora, Ohio. Aurora, Ohio, which Tiny is relatively t- close to Cleveland. Yes. It's um, it, it's in the triangle of, you know, Cleveland is northeast, and then farther east is Youngstown, and a little west is Akron. Right there, almost smack in the middle is Aurora. So, you're in a comfortable drive to Cleveland. Yes. Okay, so you grew up and you lived there your whole life, I assume? Yeah, I, I got there when I was six. Close graduated. Yeah, yeah. You weren't going, running off and living anywhere on your own when you were four. So, yeah, from, from, from whatever. Except for that one time. Except for that one time. Great food. <laughs> Is there a story there or are we just joking? No, no, I was eating grass. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you lived in Ohio your whole life. Yes. Including the graduate school slash undergraduate school yes. experience. And then you often moved to New York and you said you only visited there once to visit yes, Mike. But I, a little caveat there, when I was starting out in acting, um, I ended up to make more money. I knew that I needed to branch out. So I had agents in Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Chicago, Detroit, and Pittsburgh. Whoa. Okay. So I would get up in the morning, go to class, fly out shoot, fly back. I was doing print and radio and on camera. So I needed to broaden my horizons to make more money to get through school. And because it was the English major by that time, I was really working mostly. And because I'm a bad test taker, I picked (laughs) the classes that only had a midterm, a final and a paper. Uh So I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at figuring stuff out when yeah. it comes to a paper and I can pretty much handle <laughs> a midterm and a final. Okay. Two tests. Mm-hmm. Cool. And, um, and my professors knew that I was paying for all this my, myself. Mm-hmm. So as long as I, they saw me on TV, you know, in the Midwest, they're like, Oh yeah, she's really working. And they gave me a break. I oh, mean, they were wow. wonderful. Wow. Wonderful. So I had been used to flying and getting out and traveling. So yeah, you were, you were an experienced yeah. How old you were yeah. at that point? 22 when I graduated, 23 right. when I graduated. And you and packed up the car and you went out to New York. I went out to so New to speak. York. I don't yeah. know, you drove I, to New York. I drove to New York. Park. I drove to New York. You did? Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and you had a place to live set up, I, I assume. I, I live with, I live with Mike. You, oh my God. <laughs> now, if you're wondering, you know, we, we said he's the president, New York president of the SAG-AFTRA uh, SAG and, mm-hmm. and he's been in everything and everything. he's been around forever. He's one of the um, inspirations to why, you know, once I, my professor said, why don't you act? I was like, well, my cousin does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I, so it's, and I've known Mike, he, uh, since, I don't know, like. 
2004, 2005, yeah. something like that. So I've known him for years. I've known you for years, yeah. but I never until right this very moment. Put it together? No, I never knew for sure. Wow. I had, I had a suspicion because just because, just you know, it's like last name, last name that, but that's all I was able to go on. It's like, you know, Why? it's like, you know, when you, you, you know, so you meet somebody from Spain and you're like, Oh, do you know, Sean, you know, it's like he lives <laughs> do in Spain. You know Sean? Yeah. I mean, you can't just assume. <laughs> do you things. Know Sean? So it's in, it, literally, this is the first time I realized it's yep. people. I, they are cousins, which is cousins. Great. That's very cool. Um, so you were living with Mike. Living with so Mike. you had like a soft place to land. Oh, and that's very not a comment soft. about Mike at all whatsoever. No, no, no. <laughs> it, no, and it was because Mike became and has been, he's home. Mm. You know, Mike is home. If there was ever a time when I just, I just needed, I needed that not only father figure because dad, my dad is oh, you know, 500 miles mm. away. Mike was that hand to hold and say, you know what? Bucker up. <laughs> you know, chin up, buckaroo, get on out there. Mm. But this is, I'll tell you that my, actually my parents packed me up and drove me. <laughs> that, there's no shame in that. Okay. They threw me out. No, they no right. my mother cried for days. I love you, mama. Aww. So this is what had happened was my parents, uh, packed me up. We drove and the next day they drove home and Mike said, I need to, he needed to go to his agents to pick up his check. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's when it was S E M and M. Okay. Which, which if you're listening, you're not sure is one of the, is an agency has changed or is it, I don't even know if it's around anymore. It may or may not still be around. So, um, I said, yeah, sure. Cause he needed to go pick up his check. And, um, I went with him. You know, I'm Midwest here. I got my little ponytail and baseball cap <laughs> and my oversized jeans and tee. And I walk in with him. I'm with Mike. And he's, we're going to hang out and have some lunch. So I'm just sitting there waiting. And one of the agents peeks over and looks at me. He goes, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Um, are you an actor? Said, yeah. Are you union? I said, yeah. You, are you repped? No, I just moved here. <laughs> Come on. Um, can you come back next Tuesday? So, oh, yeah, sure. my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we're, we're visited for a moment by uh, your husband. who do, Hi, honey. Just want to say a quick hi. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Seriously. You, um, so who do you remember who the agent was? Oh, yeah, I, I would assume even, you know. It gets even better. Okay. That, was, that was Alan Duncan. That was okay. Sure. Oh no, it gets even better. So that was Alan Duncan. So that. So this is this is SEM and M, but he's now at Innovative. Yeah, and he's my agent at Innovative now. <laughs> so you you have had that relationship with him uh-huh. for that wow since nineteen ninety six. Wow. Okay, so it gets even better. So that Friday, because I that was Tuesday, and uh-huh. then I went and saw Alan the next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So that Friday. Um, um, he, um, my cousin, Mike, his manager, Deborah Lee Scott came over to make dinner for De- Mike. Deborah Lee Scott. Deborah she was an actress, right? Yes, yeah, she was. I remember that name. From, Deborah Lee Scott. Of course. Yeah. Um, comedic actress. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Um, unfortunately she's passed away. 
But she, what, oh, I, she's my heart. Oh, she's my heart. Okay, I'm learning a lot today. So this anyway, is... that Friday, same the first week I've been on, you know, it's only been four days, mm-hmm. and I have an appointment with Alan the following Tuesday. Uh, Deborah came over to make her famous white bean chili, and Deborah could cook her little tushy off. Oh, <laughs> quiet as kept. She, ooh, girlfriend could cook. So she came over, and, you know, Mike introduces me, and we're just talking, and she says, Hey. Oh, come on. That, uh-huh. it, it's not easy. It's, nobody says, hey. gets it that easy. Come on. Um, <laughs> so, you're new? Yeah. Um, you have any representation? No. Are you union? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a resume? Yeah, pretty com- You know, I've done a lot of stuff. I, I have some reviews. Oh, no, I don't have anybody um, that looks like you. I'll take you on. Wow. And I started going out that Monday. So you came to you came to New York on a Tuesday and started auditioning. You came to New York on a Tuesday Monday. to go to school at a at a school that ended up closing, closing. that day. You ended up getting hooked up not just with a much better acting school with a much better reputation. Yeah, Stella and I, Adler. I I auditioned for Stella Adler that following Wednesday and got in. Just getting into Stella Adler for most people at, in in the mid nineties, no less. Yeah, when that name was probably as 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 uh, as respected as it had ever been. Wonderful, wonderful. That for most people would have been a big enough relief. But you not just had a new school to go to and a better school to go to, but you mm-hmm. had a commercial agent and a legit and a legit manager. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah. So That's I was amazing. I was going out on auditions for commercials and voiceover and for f- film and television. Right off the right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. And this is nineteen ninety six. It's nineteen ninety six. When things were popping. Yeah, see that's the thing about New York. Here in New York and things yeah. remember in ninety nine we had the strike. The big strike, yeah. So it everything changed after that. And it's been changing a lot. Yeah. See, I came in after the strike, so I didn't know okay. what life was like before the strike. And I hear people talk about it who had been around before the strike and how different it was already by the time I got in. Well, because of Mike, I know what it was like before, like in the 80s, when you when someone said, hey, I just got a national network, you partied like it you was... You were set for a while. You were set for a while. Um, you, you put a down payment on a house oh, when you wow. booked a national network back in the day-day. Which because is crazy. Were, because remember, there was only four channels. Right, right. So 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 for the for anybody not following what we're saying, when when you book a commercial, uh, you're you're paid based on a, a couple different scales. The biggest and the highest level of money you can make is being in a commercial that's on a national network. And that means NBC, ABC, CBS. Uh, Fox mm-hmm. and I don't think anything else counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yes. well, I mean it's possible that what yeah. is it? Uh, uh, w, not W. <laughs> I'm so old. CW. Um, CW. I'm calling it the WB. Yeah, yeah. You that, need to get just, out more too. We're age, parents. <laughs> I know, but that happened like 12 years ago. It's okay. All right. So, so if you get paid at that level, and now it's still a good thing, but because of the the There's a dilution, billion, yeah, we don't get as much money as we used to yeah. when a commercial gets put on the national network. But yeah. back in the 80s. Oh, 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 you, 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 you celebrated. And they stayed around for a while. They made commercials that were on the air for, mm-hmm. you know, two years. Oh, I mean, I, I had a commercial that ran, I mean, gosh, that sucker ran for 
three three years or so. Which one was that? I'm trying to remember which one. I had a few that ran for a long time. It would pop up occasionally. What was that one? <laughs> <laughs> You've done so many. Yeah, I've done a few. You've done a few. I've done a few. Um, you'd figure you'd remember that one if it's stuck around for three years. I mean, that's... It would pop up and I go, hey, that, that. maybe it was a print job that ran. It was a print job. That ran for three years. Yeah, it ran for three years, three cycles. Wow. It was a really, really good project. It was a good one. Yeah. yeah. See, that's what that, that's what we want. That's what we that's what we strive for. That's why we stick in it because when you do land those ones that are really, really good, yeah, it can carry you for a long time. Yeah. That's what I think a lot of people who aren't in the business don't quite understand is that the booking of a job, like what we call an actual job, is almost like the end result of what the actual work is. Mm-hmm. I mean, we go in, we audition. And we, there's never an expectation you're going to get it yeah. because you can't live like that. And then when you do book it, it's like you get paid for all the time that you didn't work, but were showing up and not getting paid by going to auditions or classes or all that stuff. And what I tell my students is you have to understand that and being an actor and preparing for your success that you still have to have money in the bank to get to that job mm-hmm. because... Your job is to get the call back. Everything else, everything else is it's out of your control. Absolutely. Absolutely. It might be that they have a good friend that they like. Yeah. Casting is allowed to have friends. It's true. It's yeah, true. allowed to have friends. Um, the director, cousin, they like their cousin they want to put. That's it, right. But that's out of your control. Your job is to get the call back. Just because they'll keep you in mind. Right, right. If you do a good enough job to just at least be come back come on back. another day, uh, it yes. says everything you need to know about you and where you stand with, with that casting director or yeah. whomever. Whomever. Yeah. Because it is about the relationships. Mm-hmm. They will remember you. And casting is on our side. Mm-hmm. They're on our side. That's true. I remember when, when I first started out, because back home, there's only a handful of folks (laughs) casting. I knew them all. They felt like, Oh, I know them. There wasn't any intimidation being in New York and not knowing about it. I felt so everything's on the line and it took a while for me to go, Oh wait, people are people. And this is their job. Why would they call me in if they didn't think I wasn't? It's true. It's it's absolutely true. They, they're rooting for me. Yeah. And I remind my students again, they want you to get the job mm-hmm. because you come in and you blow them away and the, you know, producers and directors, it makes their lives easy. Exactly. I always, I always look at it as like their, their goal is to go home and have dinner Yes, and they be are done with the job. Too. Yeah. They're not there. There's nobody sitting up on a big throne. Like a Thou shalt yeah. not book this it, job. It doesn't work like that. No, it it's it, There's a million different factors yes. and you can't take any of them personally or seriously. Yes. But just know that being in the room means, means a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, which is which is great advice. And I think uh, it's what's kept me going a lot. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, being able to let go and, and mm-hmm. move, move along. Um, but it's funny what you say, where you say that, you knew everybody in Cleveland or, or in the other uh, markets you were working mm-hmm. before you came to New York. Um, at this at this rate, um, however many years later, 
do you even now feel that you know all the casting directors? Because at 12 no. years in, I feel like I still, there's, there's so many so who don't many know people. me. Yeah. There's still really people know. that I, I, I really want to meet. Um, I want them to know um, what I can do. Mm-hmm. And then there's, let's be honest, as we grow in the craft and as we grow and get older as human beings, uh, we change. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not 23 anymore. And when I first came to New York, I was always going in for Nickelodeon, Disney stuff. Sure. Yeah. And, um, hmm, funny story. I, uh, what's hot right now is girl meets world. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. The boy meets world right. re- reboot or whatever. I went in for Boy Meets World. Oh, man. Wow. Um, when they had the African-American girlfriend on the show for the last couple years. I, I, I can't say I was a big it, fan and watched it, it religiously. Anyway. I know I know enough to know who, like the major players. But. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, I, I remember going in and the actress that did book that job when I came out of the audition. Well, first things first. Casting said, we really like you, but you're five foot nine. You were tall. <laughs> and you're so much taller than the actual <laughs> teenager. We're talking much. a savage. So they, they only run three foot six times. Exactly. You're yeah. like, we like, we really like you. But so I, it, it was still at that time. Like, uh, Yeah. But I think I was 27 years old, still going. Going in for Nickelodeon. Right. However, I remember opening the door and the actress that did book the job was sitting there and I saw her and I went, wow, she's lovely. Mm. If I were to cast her, I'd cast her. She looks like. Who was it that did I can't remember her name at present. Again, mommy brain. Yeah. Um, But then I found out she was like four years older than me and already had three kids and she looked 12. Wow. Gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Just so, not a flaw. And she was playing somebody who was, she was what, 16, 17, yeah, something like that? 14. 14? I think she was Boy playing 14 or 15 years old. I, you know, they were they were in high school. Yeah, so maybe yeah. they were 15 or 16. Which is not a Flawless. huge difference if you're Flawless. 31. Yeah. Oh yeah, but still, I mean, come on, girlfriend had it going on. Wow. Well, good for her. Yeah. But, but, here's, the, but here's the thing. It's like, I, knowing you, I, I only recently knew that I, I, I'm trying to frame it in a way that I'm not, that I'm not giving you up, but I'm only recently become aware of how, uh, where you are and in terms of age, mm-hmm. is that, is that a general way of saying that? <laughs> um, that I am mature. No, I just, I always assumed that you, and I still to this day, um, could easily assume that you're a good 10 years younger than you actually I are. I appreciate that. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you're 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 in a different league. I think now you are um, definitely a, you're not a high schooler. I think mm-hmm. you're just, your your personality and your your countenance is somebody who is more mature. But you're not somebody who I would put uh, somewhere around my age. I, that's for sure. So what does that mean? Yeah, like you're, you're giving me a funny look. But yeah, what does that mean, my oh, age? Well, my my age, I would not assume that you were my age. Oh well, I would, actually, I, would, I would assume looking at you that you are much younger than I am. Right. Okay. Um, and the thing is, you are much younger than I am. Not much. I don't think. I, we're not going to get out. I, I would say just, like, just 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 put up fingers. Let me see. Really? Yeah. When's your birthday? 
uh, uh, March. Oh, so you just turned that? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm older, <laughs> but not by a lot, right? No. Oh, see, see, there you go. A year. See, and I wear that number a lot more than you do. Mm, not really. I th- I think if you put us next to each other in a lineup. Like, if we committed a crime, they'd say it was Dave the older one who did it, and they'd all go, well, it was Dave. It would have to be that way. Come on. Look at me. Look at me. Look at you. I know, I know. like, it's all how you feel. Like, age well, is only how you feel. Yeah, and clearly you feel young. To see, I don't see it. I see you. Well, I appreciate that. No, and you've always, you've always been extremely complimentary to me, and it's always an ego boost when I see you. Dave, do we have to get, <laughs> go through this again? No, no, especially okay. not here. It's, this you is not the bomb, oh, Dave. See, um, I especially on. I, I don't want to drag the show down with. with Stop me. it. So <laughs> let's talk about like how you progressed. Um, through well, you're, what, you, there was a strike. Yeah, Screen Actors Guild before they merged with AFTRA. Yeah, they they went on strike. Yes. What was your memory of that? What 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 kind of stuff happened for you during that time? Because it was hard on a lot of actors. Well, funny, and it was it happened. It, it went on for a while. Yeah, it went it went on for a while. I remember my last audition before the strike was a voiceover for um, Trojan condoms. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember that it was going to be a national, huge, big um, uh, radio spot. Uh-huh. So I had taken up photography and I started uh, doing children's portraiture uh-huh. and, and doing children's portraits and started, I, I didn't have um, you know, a lot of cards or whatever, but I started getting known, getting known in that uh, Upper West Side Park Avenue, mm-hmm. Fifth Avenue area. Mm-hmm. And once one family goes, Oh my gosh, you've got to, of I started course. going to every other person's apartment. And that's how I kept myself kind of going. <sighs> Smart. Doing the photography. And it wasn't, you know, amazing money, but I kept myself going and, and then I started teaching. So, um, and that helped a lot because working with kids, that's another thing. Mm. It's been 14 years now of me coaching and teaching young actors. Wow. So started teaching and um, I thought it was interesting that when I, when the strike ended, I got a call um, and it was actually from another, no, it was from, it was from casting mm-hmm. and I can't remember what the, uh, the casting director was. We've been looking for you everywhere. Oh. Like, you've been looking for me. I've been right here. <laughs> Waiting. <laughs> right. Well, we've been looking for you. Um, you booked the Trojan job. Oh. So, it was like, boom. The strike's over. And you can I got a work. job. Yeah. So, went in and um, did my first major um, radio job. Right after the strike. Right after the strike. Right after the strike. A lot of people didn't recover, period. Well, for me, the recovery was, it, it was funny because I had been working. Deborah Lee had moved to LA mm-hmm. and I had gotten a new manager. Mm-hmm. And in those three years, I hadn't worked. Oh. So it was bizarre. So I hadn't worked. They fired me. 
the strike ended. Oh, and man. boom, I started working. Ah, uh, you didn't have to give them the uh, and percentage. I didn't, and yeah. it was like <laughs> out of the gate. I was like, well, if you would have just hung on, yeah, really? you would have gotten yeah. a little bit of this money. How but- do you decide in the ter- during a strike to that, a, that a talent needs to be cut? You know, it's, it's so weird. Because it, the strike went on for how long? A year or so? I don't know. I, I can't even yeah, remember. I blocked it out, take. I guess. That's a long time. So, but I had a three-year contract, so I oh, hadn't worked okay. much before then. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So, and Deborah, again, Deborah Lee had um, moved. So, I, Deborah Lee was... She didn't care if I worked or I didn't work. She was very encouraging. And I'm not saying this other management company wasn't encouraging, but it's a business and that's just the way it is. And I understand that. So I was a little discouraged in the moment, but when I got the phone call, I was like, huh, okay. On the, on this side, you let me go, but on this side, there's work for me. That's kind of, and I just, yeah. Kind of clearly, we weren't supposed to work together. Right. That's right. all. Yeah. That's and all. it's it's there. Clearly, there was their loss, especially at the time. Uh, no, I think it, it was probably. I would think well, it was good. Beneficial. That it was mutually beneficial yeah. because um, that particular manager she moved to L.A. and she's she's doing really well there. So I can't begrudge her. It's business. Yeah. It's business. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay. So. Wow, it's like the, the time is flying already. So I want to make sure we hit certain things. Okay. Um, okay. So the strike ends, and you've been working, yes. on, you know, consistently as as an actor as best I can, as best you can. As I can. <laughs> but you've also branched off into doing other things. You mentioned yes. the teaching already. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about the writing stuff because you've kind of gone yeah. back to it. Yeah. Um, what 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 got you back into doing more writing, or or was the writing all the, along, and the, I just didn't know the, it. The writing was happening all along yeah. because it's just, it's part of my spirit. Mm-hmm. It's just, even when I was in mechanical engineering, I was still writing. It was just part of my, part of being fully self-expressed. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, there was a, a playwriters, playwriting group, um, in Hoboken that I had joined and I, w- we would get together on certain days, um, and we'd re- read each other's work and they so inspiring. So I started working on a trilogy of plays called my Cleveland plays and then started, um, sending them out and getting workshops and readings and things like that. But when it came to teaching, I had asked my students, okay, um, go and find some monologues, bring them back and let's work on them. But the monologues they would bring back more monologues. Monologues have to be active. They have to be, you need to be speaking to someone and need something from them. And it has to happen a pretty short amount of time to work as a monologue. To work as a monologue. And I don't mind if it's a minute or three minutes. It's just, it there has to be a need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You need to want something from someone for a reason. And if it's, if it's just a, cute kids standing there talking about the time that they went to you know school and their lunch you know spilled on the floor and they were embarrassed that's not a monologue that's a story mm-hmm. and i got frustrated so i started writing for them when did you start putting because i know well we'll get to where it ended up but what, what when did you start the process and how long did it take for you to have a bunch of monologues oh i i always had a i mean i started in 2000 mm-hmm. the almost the first semester of working with my students and I just got frustrated and started writing and I kept writing and I kept writing and I kept writing. Um, and then I put some of them together. 
Um, and it's taken, I always threatened that I was going to put a book together. Mm -hmm. And then I guess, to be honest with you, I got intimidated by the process. Mm. I just just got intimidated by the process. It is a pretty intimidating thing if you think about it. No, no, no. It's a punk thing. Sorry. (laughs) Let's call it what it is. Let's really call it what it is. I, yeah. Intimidated by the process, Tia, I'm talking to my inner self, Mm -hmm. is, is just a cop out. No, I was, I was punking out. I could have done I could have put myself out there years ago. Sure. I had enough material years ago. Yeah. And I yeah. kept telling I my students, hey, I'm going to make this book and just kept putting it off. And then I married Thomas and he said, you know, you keep talking about this. Let me read some of it. And he, I put it all together and he went, he read it and he came back and he said, honey, this is great. And he got the ball rolling and one little thing led to another, much like when I moved here, just happened to be in the right place at the right time. One of his students was graduating and they have to do an internship and she interned with me. We did a reading here in New Jersey, uh, in Orange, New Jersey at Hat City Kitchen, shout out. And, (laughs) um, with my students, it went really, really well. It just so happened that one of my students, I did not know this at the time, her father works in publishing. Oh man, there you go. Right. And over the next year, I put together my, not only the the book, um, but also my proposal. And he had me uh, email one agent and speak to one publisher. And that one publisher published my book. That's a, see, you have more of those I than any more. ten people I know. I have that. That that's been my my adult life. But that's and and that's great. I mean that to 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 have the proof. See, I think what you said before about it being an intimidating process, and then you said no, it's a punk. Thing. Yeah, it's a punk thing. I punked out. I and I see both. Because you look at it and you think, okay, there's there's the unknown. Mm-hmm. And all you really know is the stuff you're holding on to. But what's really true and, and why I think you're right about uh, it being a punk thing is if you're just waiting and, and, and you're, you're holding on to stuff and you're not putting anything out there, you can't expect anything to happen. No, you can't expect And it's like you got no. validation for it because the first time you tried, boom. Boom. It, it- you say makes so much sense. If I looked at what, if I looked at what the history of quote, what the success is, if I looked at only the success as being and telling that myself to you, the right people always show up for you at the right time. Mm. What are you afraid of? Mm. Um, and maybe thank you, Dave. Maybe that's really why you are here to remind me of that. And you know what? I'm going to take, I'm going to use that. That, thank you, Dave. Well, you're welcome. I guess I owe you for this session. <laughs> I will talk to your secretary on the way out. Um, but what was going, I, I believe maybe it might, it might be a punk thing through my mind was also the questions of, and it, I'm sure it happens to every human being. Am I good enough? Mm-hmm. Will they like me? It's, I think that's, that's where it all comes from. <laughs> Am and I good enough? We, Will they like me? It's, it's, it's at the heart of what we do. And, and I think it's some, I think there's in, in one hand, it's a terrifying thing. Yeah. Being an actor and, and, and or a performer of any kind. Mm-hmm. And, 
needing people to like it for you to have any chance of having a viable career at it. Yes, but... I think that's also addicting. It's, yeah, but I guess now that I'm saying it and I'm looking at it for what it is, for the most part, I usually go, yeah, I, I might not be. But let's see if I am or not how <laughs> and see how, see how it turns out. For instance, I was terrified of doing stand up, mm. terrified. So I did it. That's good and for I you. Killed. <laughs> it was where did awesome. you, where did you do it? It was at don't tell mama's years ago. Um, and, um, it was, uh, the holla holla show. Um, Ah, uh, who runs Raheem? Um, oh, he, at, oh, at Innovative. Oh, innovative the, yeah, 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 he yeah, works, yeah. He works for Innovative exactly. and he runs a show. And he runs a show. And he said, why don't you come and do it? I was the only woman in the show. Oh. And <laughs> I remember it was when Robin Givens was on Broadway doing, gosh, she was doing Chicago at the time. Okay. I didn't know she was in the audience. Oh my God. I don't know who was in the audience wow. except the people that I invited. And I did my little spiel. And at the end, and when everybody's you know, done, you can go out and shake hands and stuff. She actually shook my hand. Nice. And said, I don't believe you've never done this. And that was, that was validation that, okay, I need to do more things I'm afraid of. Yeah. But it took me a while to do this book. It took me yeah, 14 what's the, what's, what's, so years. We can, but oh, 14 years and the name of the, the book, book is? It's Play Speak because um, there's 40 monologues uh, for young actors. And it also teaches young actors to break down a monologue. So mm -hmm. it's also a workbook. Mm -hmm. um, and they can use it for auditions and uh, and it's for teachers as well. Um, to teach their students. And I, another reason why I wrote it is because not every student who wants to be an actor has someone available. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what if they need something for an audition and they don't know how to mm -hmm. approach the work and they don't have somebody to work with? At least they'll have a piece of me or something that they can read and they can learn how to do it. That's valuable. Yeah. So that's why I put it out there. Um, when you say it's for young people, what, what ages are we talking about? Um, 13 to 18. And that's a critical time, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I came from a, my, my background is I went to a high school that had a phenomenal theater program. Where did you attend? It was Manhasset High School on Long Island. Mm -hmm. um, and I was lucky enough to get a, like a ground floor education in, in theater. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine if you went to a school that had, you know, they did their plays and they mm -hmm. have... You know, somebody who uh, is the gym teacher, but he also, you know, runs the, the theater mm -hmm. program um, who doesn't necessarily have a steep background in it. That's really hard. That's really hard. You know, That's so, really hard. so having resources like that is awesome. Yeah. And I remember being frustrated when I was young at monologues, um, A, because there weren't as many out there, it seemed, and we only had access to so many of them. Uh -huh. And so you saw the same ones over, over and over, over again. again. So I used to write my own, which was really there gratifying. There you have it. Um, but what you said about like not putting it out there, it's like I just let them go. And and for a long time before I became an actor, I, I, I denied myself like uh, the notion of trying until mm -hmm. I finally just like had nothing. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to try. Yeah. And it worked. And, you know, it's funny. You say like it took you 14 years to put it out. It's like I wish I had I wish I had just gone for it. And I guess if the, there's one thing we could take from like this conversation, it's true. 
uh, that you can't get anywhere without putting something out there. You can't, yeah. you can't expect things to just happen. Well, the wonderful thing is, Dave, we're still alive. <laughs> That's true. There's tomorrow. There's no, there's right now. Well, there's the right wall. There's 15 <laughs> minutes from now. There's, there's 30 seconds from now. And oh, Lord willing, we will still be alive then. That is true. Well, hopefully there's not a meteor about to strike your house. Well, <laughs> I'm going to go with, I hope not either, but weird things happen to me, Dave. <laughs> You do defy the odds in a lot of ways. <laughs> Weird things happen. Yeah. Well, before before we because I want to we do have to wrap it up because because uh, amazingly time is already uh, close to being through here. But um, we talk a little bit about family stuff. Yeah. Sure. 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 You you, you said you married Thomas. Uh, when did you marry? We got married um, September nineteenth of. 2010. 2010. Mm -hmm. And then uh, not, not too much longer after that. Uh, yeah. Six months later, we got preggers. And then <laughs> um, we had Logan in November of November 18th of 2011. So you have, you're actually the first person I'm having on the show who is a parent besides me. Oh yeah. So I can, yeah. Someone I can actually relate to. On oh that level. yeah. And the challenges of it. <sighs> But for you, what whatever the challenge has been? Okay, um, I have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing. That says it all right there. Yeah, I mean, well, okay. So nobody tells you. I mean, you can read all the books. I read all the books, mm -hmm. cray cray books, like sure. how to get them to sleep, how to get them to eat, how to get them, you know, they're not, they don't read. So they don't, <laughs> they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So it's the logistics. It's, we live 500 miles from my parents. Um, we have family members on his side that live far away. It's just us. Um, so, and she didn't go into daycare until she was a year old because I didn't want to do that. Um, and then because I want to raise my child, um, she only goes to daycare twice a week. Um, and I nursed her for two years on demand. So I got a total of eight hours of sleep for two years <laughs> total. Um, and she's a really bright kid and she's only two and a half. So, I want to be a hands-on mom, but I also want to have a career sure. and, um, I want to be there when I, I was there when she took her first steps and thank goodness I had my phone with me. So I got it on video. <laughs> um, I, I want to be there with my husband for my husband. So the balance of having a family and having a writing now, uh, being an author and, you know, playwright and a screenwriter. Cause, um, you also read, uh, my pilot last which was, year, which was great. By the way, the rewrite is complete and our now manager hasn't, she loves it. So look oh, okay, out for well, that email. Um, <laughs> a little behind the scenes. Yeah, stuff here. Behind the scenes. <laughs> um, and so having that balance of family and career and then having these all, you know, those sub career things, you know, having the deadline for the script and for the new books coming out because my, I submitted, uh, a proposal for a series of children, children's books and my publisher loves them. So now I've got an illustrator and I've got this to do and that to do and to work on. Wow. My desire is to have a legacy because I'm, I'm not going to live forever. At this rate, you know, we're, we're, we're not sure, but no, yes, no, yeah. no, 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 <laughs> um, I'm not going to live forever and okay. Well, 
I don't know what the future holds. Will I win tons of awards and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, and people look back and say, hey, she was a great actor, a great writer. Great. All that really counts is what people remember were the relationships you had. That's very true. So I got to strike while, you know, the irons are hot. And that means my, my husband and my kid come first. Mm-hmm. And my full self-expression is the acting and the writing. So in order to feel like me and to be able to give to them and feel full and whole, those are also parts of myself that need to be fed. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that my hubby understands that there's a delicate balance for that. Um, But I will say there's a give and a take. I mean, look around there there's nothing but toys in that corner. <laughs> you say that, you say that. And, and as a fellow parent, this looks, this looks spotless. Oh no, because we have family members who are staying overnight. Even so we- still, come on. I mean, you, nah. Mm-mm. I'm sure if you came to my house, I'd be like, oh, don't look at, there's so many things. And there's a bit to get. Yeah, this is clean. This is, this is as clean as it's probably going to get in a long time. And, and nobody can expect it. More Perfection. of you than that, you know, because you do have yeah. to have, and that's, and, and, and this is where I, I totally relate is that wanting to be, you know, if, if there's one job I take more seriously and care about more than any other job, it's being a good dad yeah. and being a good husband and, yeah. and, and having a good relationship with my kids and my wife and, and, and making sure that that's like you said, though, that's the legacy I leave. Um, but, uh, it's also important to be a fully rounded person yeah. for them and for, for me. me. Exactly. It's, so, yeah. It, yeah. It, it's sometimes it's, it's difficult to explain to other working moms and other, and when I mean working moms, I know that some people want to put quote unquote, stay at home moms in a different category. Stay at home moms are working moms because oh, they are working they booties off. Oh, no, no, no doubt about it. So when I talk to other, other moms about, you know, okay, so I'm home, but I'm writing and I'm watching Logan, or I have the time that I do have clean the house, do the laundry. I'm doing the mom things and then have to still, I'm an actor. So I have to still take care of my body. And I had to lose the baby weight, which was, I've lost 64 pounds. So yeah, it still took two and a half years. Um, and try, you know, to get back out there. Um, I was auditioning after the C-section seven weeks after and went in for blue bloods, booked the job, thought everything, yay, I'm back. And then they changed the scripts. I'm still, yeah, yeah, still the same up and down as being an actor. And now I've got a little person and a husband and a house and a, and before when I was single, and, you know, getting out there, I didn't have to manage mm-hmm. the same kind of, okay, I didn't book that job. Just move this money here and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a lot easier. It's, it's, it's a, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's a different animal because I think from the outside, it might look like, especially as an actor, if you're not really famous or making tons of money mm-hmm. or if you don't have family close by, I could see where from the outside, it looks like I'm being really selfish. 
Now, why not get a real job where you know where your benefits are going to come from, that you know that your 401k is going to be this or that? Why do something that is so unpredictable? And the only thing I can say for that is I'm not unpredictable. I know where my joy lies. And as an actor and a writer and directing, my joy lies in my family. And as long as they understand and they love that I love what I do, my real job is loving them. And they know that I love what I do. And that feeds me. And that's enough. Well put. You know, I, th- I think it's hard to understand that from the outside, but it makes perfect sense to me. You yeah. know, it, it, it is, you know, it's funny as you were saying that I'm thinking to myself, you know, a lot of times people will get a job to support their acting career, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like sort of like being a parent and, and a member of a family is the job and everything else supports that. And if you kind of look at it that way, it all makes sense, yeah. you know? But also you have the, the track record. I would say if you were if you were at this stage in your life and you had never booked anything and you were uh, still trying to make it. Yeah. But you have the you have the right to look at people and say you you ha- you are an actor, you are a writer, you are an author. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm go- hmm. Dave, I'm gonna um pick a little fight with you. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that I'm gonna pick on right there is have the right. That's the only thing. Okay. Um, and, and why I say that is because I can't be a hypocrite in the last few years, especially after getting pregnant and you know, having the baby and the body changes and such, it's been a while mm. since I've worked. I took some time off, but it's been a little while to get back into the groove of things. So if I were to say, Oh, I have a right I have a right to call myself anything I darn well please. That's true. It has nothing to do with what other people think. That's that's very true. And so what if I have this resume or that resume of what I've done? If people looked at what they did do or didn't do, then they wouldn't have the, the guts. I would continue to punk out. I would have never done. I never had a book before. Right. So can I call myself an author just because I had a book? published. Mm. I had the book sitting there. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. No, absolutely. So, um, over the last couple, you know, almost two years, the last job that I did or that aired, the show got canceled. Mm -hmm. So I still went out for pilot season. Mm -hmm. I still got called in. I still got great feedback. Am I on a series right now? Yes, casting has had me come in for series leads and series regular. I'm grateful. That means they believe mm-hmm. that I can do that role. That's what counts. They, they're still seeing me. That's wonderful. It's just a matter of time. However, I don't want to discourage anyone from thinking they got to do something other than to believe in the desire and that they have a right to be whoever they say they are. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. It's, you know, as you say that, I realize that what, what what the bone you're picking with me is totally legit. That's the only bone I'm picking. Yeah. Maybe it's a bad choice of words. And and, and really, if, if, 
you know, if, if you, I think you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a mindset that has to be there. Yes. And you have to believe that what you're doing now is part of a bigger journey and that it's not uh, what, what you're doing today. It's what you're building toward in the future. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But I do think that anybody who looks at what you've chosen to do uh, and, and, and speaks badly of it, I think that's where I was like, oh. I'm defending you and, oh. and, and well, say, who yeah. dare, how dare they say that how you, dare. with your track record of success, can't choose to live like this and has to go and, and do something else that you don't want to do. Yeah, that's not that. That's really okay. where I was coming from. But I totally, I totally am on board with yeah. with uh, the bone of contention you had with what I said. Oh well, so. then I took it. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Because I don't want to ever have anybody walk away from what I said feeling. You know, I didn't book anything this week. Yeah, I can't call myself can't an actor. actor. Right? No, that's not. That's yeah. not at all yeah. what I want to put right. out there. So, um, but but what's the saying? Um. What I think of myself is all that counts, and what think, what people think of me is none of my business. That's see, there so. You if go. someone yeah. has, you know, she can't call herself a this or that. Okay, well, that's what you think. That's not my as business. As long as they keep it to themselves and shut up. Oh no, they could shout it to the <laughs> world. They, I remember I, I I directed a short film, and someone on the internet, and this was before Facebook. Um, someone on the internet, um, posted a horrible thing Mm. about my directing and, well, it wasn't a horrible thing. They said I was a horrible director (laughs) and, and you know what? Okay. Yeah. And I could have done better and I could have done better Mm. and I've learned from it. But at the time, it hurt. Yeah. It really did You try hurt. not to let them hurt, too. But it's, it's every I, once in a while, somebody will say that one thing that makes you go. At the time. Mm-hmm. But now, and it's still up, by the way. Dude, good. It's still up on the internet. <laughs> good. And I see it often. And <laughs> I'll show it to you. And, and it doesn't. Now, it doesn't hurt. But it reminds me that there's always a place to go. Mm. There, what if the person? Oh, they're fabulous, it's amazing, blah blah blah. But then I would have sat back and gone, "Hey, pat pat pat." And at the time, would I have continued doing what I was doing? Would it have been to grow, or would it have been just to have somebody like me? Mm. True. And at the time, in my mindset when what I was going through at the time, I know I wasn't mature enough. I would have been trying to only get someone to like me and not just for people to enjoy the work, Mm. like it or don't like it. And the truth is you want people to either love it or hate it. The in between the wishy-washy is kind of, that's death right there. Yeah. Like, yeah. But see, what do they say? Um, the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. Yes. So I'd rather you hate it and have real passion about how much it stunk. <laughs> that means you invested some time. Yeah. I understand yeah. you might not get your 50 minutes back, but hey, you watched the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> That's it's, what it's, you get. It's what I tell people when I when we, we, do, we do comedy. It's, you know. If you have a moment in a comedy show where it gets deep and it gets serious and and the 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 end result is that they felt something 
other than laughter and it, like and they walked away maybe as sad or angry it's like nobody ever walked away from a from a performance saying those bastards made me feel too much exactly if you felt something something awesome, awesome. yeah uh, rather yeah. much that rather uh, so much rather yeah dumb. so at the time it hurt but now not only have I learned, I know that, that that review will be the reminder that makes me not only a better director and a writer and pay more attention to, you know, the camera angles and all that other stuff, but it reminds me that I had a lot of growing to do and that I don't direct my own stuff on film anymore. I <laughs> hire somebody who who really knows what they're doing. Yeah. And I don't have, there's, Hey, there's no shame in my game. If I, if I can hire somebody who knows more than I, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a load off your mind and it makes you look better. Hello. Yeah. Win, 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 win. And there you have it. How can people get in touch with you? If they, if they are, I'm sure somebody has listened to this and has been inspired. How do people get in touch with you? You can email me. How do you be public? You can email me at my full. Oh no! <laughs> at my full name, <laughs> at my full pretentious name, uh, Tia Dion Hodge at gmail dot com. Very good. And you're on Twitter. Yes, I am on Twitter. Yeah, it's Tia Dion Hodge. <laughs> do you have a website? I do. And it's www.tiadionhodge.com. TheDionHodge.com. Let's hear it for consistency. Well, yeah, you got to brand yourself. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're awesome. I oh, Dave, that means so much. You're seriously, you're, thank you're you, great. Dave. You are just great. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. There she is, my friend Tia Dion Hodge Jones. She was a gracious host at her house, and I'm glad we had a chance to sit down. and And I found out a lot about her that I didn't know before, and that's always fun. She will be having her New Jersey celebration and book signing for her book, Play Speak, Modern Monologues for the Modern Young Actor, at the Montclair Public Library in Montclair, New Jersey. That's this Saturday, September 6th, 2014, from 2 to 5 p.m. You can find out more at Tia's website, TiaDionHodge.com. You can also find Tia on Twitter, at TiaDionHodge. Links to that do appear on the BringYourOwnLunch.com website. Thank you, Tia, for being uh, an awesome guest, and uh, look forward to your event on Saturday. That about does it for another edition of Bring Your Own Lunch for another week. Glad you can join us. Make sure you check out Banuba.net. Find out where all the music for this show comes from and the band behind it. Find out where they will be. Find out more information about the 16th Annual Wormtown Music Festival from September 12th through the 14th in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Go to Banuba.net for ticket information and more. Go to NYSFSO, get your short film into us, so we'll consider it and have it on a future New York short film shootout. And uh, if you want to get involved with us, be sure to find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash bringyourownlunch. You can go to uh, follow us on Twitter at BYOL Podcast. Subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. That's a big one for us. You can also get involved on Stitcher. And, of course, you can always find all the information about Bring Your Own Lunch at the website bringyourownlunch.com with all necessary links included. Stay tuned for the Jimmy Jack Cowpunch Hour, followed by Mansoor and the Fish. Until next week, when we have another great guest lined up, this is Dave. I'll see you next Tuesday.